I'll try that again. Good morning and welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, and if you're out in the hallway, we're calling all bodies into the sanctuary. If you're joining us via live stream, we're glad you're here and can join us today. Uh, woke up to some beautiful snow this morning, but uh, thankfully we're able to uh, get here and, and be together in, in the Lord's house and, uh, and worship Him today. If you're uh, visiting with us or joining us by, by live stream for the first time, we want to say welcome to you. Uh, we're so glad you are here. Uh, for those of you that have been joining us by live stream, our, our church members, uh, we want you to know we miss you, but we want you to stay healthy, and we look forward to seeing you just as soon as that's possible. Here at East LJ, we've been captivated by Christ. In Jesus, we have seen and we cannot unsee the glory of our God in the, in the face of Jesus Christ, Scripture says. What that means is that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we've come to know the mercy and grace of God, which are His glory, which all come together to, to show us His glory, His beauty. And so Jesus has captivated us. It's our prayer that as you join us in worship today, you too would be captivated by the beauty of Jesus, that you would embrace Him uh, as your all in all. Several announcements as we begin and before we enter into worship. First of all, just a couple of announcements actually. First of all, leadership. We will meet on Wednesday at 7.30. Leadership meeting this Wednesday at 7.30. Also, next Sunday morning during our morning worship service, um, we will have an update from our search committee for, the, for, for, for youth pastor and children's administrators. So uh, make sure you're, you're here. Uh, probably early in the service, we will uh, let them give an, a quick update, let you know where they're at as they make good progress uh, in that search. And so I think that's all the announcements I'm aware of. Um, real quickly, I want to give a, a, a thank you, big shout out to our security team. Some of you know we have a security team. Others may not be aware, but we have a group of uh, men that have uh, committed and volunteered to just help keep our gatherings safe and uh, everything from facility safety to um, just kind of keeping a, a check on things while we're here uh, gathered to worship. So thank you to uh, our security team. Uh, those men know who they are, and we appreciate what you do and the planning you've been doing recently, uh, even looking ahead to... Uh, continue to develop our, uh, the safety uh, of this experience here as we gather to worship. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from God's Word, again from Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. This is the first place we find the Lord's Prayer, uh, as it's most commonly called, or as we've been considering it, the Disciples' Prayer. Later on, Jesus again in his ministry teaches on prayer, and we, that's where we'll be later in Luke 11, later on several, several months after this occasion, uh, and, he, and he teaches by the same pattern. Matthew 6, verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's the petition we'll be looking at a little bit later. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so as we work our way through the disciples' prayer, what we see about prayer most overarchingly is the truth that prayer is all about the Father. It's all about His glory. All that we would ever ask of the Father should serve His glory. And we'll be looking a little bit later on. One of those things is for forgiveness, even as we forgive others. I'm so thankful that there is forgiveness of sins to be had through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We can have all of our sins forgiven forever in Him. And if we know Him today, we'll talk about this more later, but there is therefore for us who know Jesus no condemnation ever again because we are made righteous in Jesus. We've been forgiven of our sins. and We've been given His righteousness as our clothing before holy God so that we, like Christ, can call God Father. And we can pray, Our Father, hallowed be your name. As we pray, I want us to pray for those that we know who cannot call God Father. People that you work with, people that are in your family, neighbors perhaps, uh, that don't yet know Christ by personal faith in Him. And so we want to pray for your neighbors. We also want to pray for the nations. And today we want to pray for a really small people group in Malaysia, the Sinhalese people. These folks were originally from Sri Lanka, and they, uh, some have migrated to Malaysia. 4,400 of them. Among that 4,400 people, 0.1% evangelical. That means there's four or five Christians among 4,000 and some odd. So we want to pray that that small little seed of a church would grow and expand uh, across this people group there in Malaysia. We also want to pray for the many sick and grieving that we're aware of this morning. So join me and join your hearts with mine as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, we praise and glorify your name. And we ask that in our lives and in this service, your name would be hallowed. That in a small degree and in, in, a, in a, just a, a tiny way, we might even see and feel the incoming of your kingdom, the spreading of your kingdom in our midst. Lord, may your will be done. May we worship you in spirit and truth in this place today. And Father, may your forgiveness in our lives flow out in forgiveness to one another. Lord, thank you that we know of your grace, that you've allowed us to see the beauty of Jesus. And we pray for our neighbors, co-workers, and family members who are yet have yet to trust you, Lord, we pray that you would soften hearts and open doors for us to speak full of loving compassion, but boldly the truth of Jesus. Father, give us those opportunities. Lord, we pray for the nations. We pray for the Sinhalese people in Malaysia. Thank you for those four or five brothers and sisters who were there. Uh, but Father, how we pray you would grow them in Christ and use them as your witnesses to reach the, the several thousand more of their own people group. Lord, today we pray for so many who are sick. In particular, Lord, this morning we want to lift up Eloise Pritchett. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would just be 
there with her and the family in these hours. Lord, we lift up Amanda Bankston and pray that you give doctors wisdom to cure this in, uh, cure this infection that she's dealing with. God, today we pray for a friend of our church, uh, Christian Johnson, having undergone surgery to remove a brain tumor, now facing chemo and radiation. Uh, pray for Joey and, and their, uh, their children and, and all their family that you just uh, be with them in these days. God, we also pray for grieving families, uh, either in our church or close to us. We pray for the, continue to pray for the Pulliam family, as well as uh, a couple other local families, the Sanford family and the Daniels family. Father, we pray for health care workers all across our nation as they are working hard and long uh, to mitigate this pandemic. Father, we pray that you would give strength and grace. Uh, Father, thank you even this week as I was with one family and actually able to be in a hospital for the first time. God, I thank you for the staff there, the compassion of, uh, of the health care workers. And use us to encourage uh, local Piedmont health care workers through the Adopt-A-Healthcare Worker uh, program that we can send cards and pray for them. Uh, and so thank you for that opportunity to serve in a real practical way, just with a note of love and encouragement. Lord, thank you for this hour and this opportunity to gather together to worship and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you alone are worthy of all of our worship, of all of our praise. So we ask that by your Spirit you strengthen us now to sing, to pray, to give. Lord, to, to, to hear and receive and be changed by your word. Work in us, we pray, for your glory's sake. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Remain standing as we uh, worship in song together. We're glad you've joined us this morning. And uh, let's sing Because He Lives together. <laughs> sent his son they called him Jesus he came to love heal and forgive he lived and died to buy my pardon 
Father, we just thank you that we can live that way. We can surrender our lives to you and give ourselves away to you for you are worthy. And by your Spirit, you indwell us and empower us to live gracefully broken and have our lives poured out that those all around us may know who you are and all that you've done. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you live today and because you live, we can live that way. Because you live, we have everlasting hope. We can see beyond this life and all the circumstances and disappointments and pain of it. And life today is worth living because you live. You paid the perfect and complete price for all of our sins. You died in our place. But on the third day, you rose again, and you are the risen king and victor, the only savior. And I thank you that today we serve a living savior. So even in our interactions with one another, help us to live gracefully broken. Help us to live full of grace that comes from you into our lives and flows through our lives into the lives of other believers as well as even our enemies who desperately need our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come now, Father. Teach us. May your Spirit break the bread of life from your Word and May we grow in our knowledge of God. And may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds through this, your precious word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 11. As we're dismissed to Children's Church. Luke chapter 11. We continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. Alan Hirsch says this about the church. You cannot build a church on consumers. They'll desert you at a moment's notice because they have no commitments beyond meeting their own needs. But Jesus took 12 disciples, 12 true students, followers, and built a movement that changed the world. You could never do that with consumers. You know, we live in a nation dominated by consumerism, and all too often, that consumerism creeps into the local church. Worship services are seen as entertainment. Instead of the corporate time of adoration of the one who 
died and rose again to save us, that they are in fact. And so, if Joe, if the music doesn't quite suit, or if the preacher isn't funny enough and preferably short enough, that's not in stature but in time, um, then continued consumption of the worship service dwindles to maybe a couple times a month, maybe a few times a year. We continue this morning in a mini-series within our study of Luke's gospel. We are walking through the disciples' prayer as Jesus gives it here in Luke 11. Jesus is teaching His disciples, His followers, to pray. You'll remember one of them asks Him, Lord, teach us to pray. And what follows is the Lord's Prayer most commonly, but I believe a better title is the Disciples' Prayer. What a follower of Jesus prays. And what we've already seen so clearly is that the prayer of a disciple is all about the master. In that master-teacher-disciple relationship, everything revolved around the teacher. There were groups of disciples, just like the twelve, who would follow rabbis or teachers in that day around, and they emulated them. They learned from them. They listened to them. They watched them. The whole thing, everything was about the teacher and becoming like him. And so the prayer of the disciple is no different. Prayer is not, you see, a list of wishes and desires thrown up to heaven by a consumer to his or her genie God. When a follower of Jesus prays, it has to be all about our Father. And what our Father who is in heaven, is up to so that his name is hallowed here on earth. And it's got to be that way because that's exactly how Jesus himself lived. Sam Albury puts it this way, Prayer is not the flare gun of, a desperate, of the desperate, nor is it room service for the indulgent. It is the confidence of the adopted. Prayer is the confidence of of the adopted. Aren't you thankful today that if you know Jesus, you can say, I am the adopted. I'm an adopted son. I'm an adopted daughter. And because of his adoption of me, his grace given to me, I can call him Father. So we continue this series, How to Pray. This is part four. You'll remember we looked at the first and overarching petition of Jesus several weeks back. That is, Father, hallowed be your name. And what we learn there is that all of our prayers are to be shaped by that one petition. They're to be shaped by the ultimate end of all things, which is the glory, the hallowing of the Father's name. Then we unpack the second petition, your kingdom come. And we saw how this petition, this second petition, serves the first. We are to pray for God's glory to be known by the coming of His kingdom into our lives. That is, through our practical obedience to His will. Hallow your name, Father. Do it in my life and how I behave and speak and act. Then last Sunday, and, and, and so we said there that we're to, uh, yeah, last Sunday, we learned how to slow down a little bit as we prayed, give us this day our daily bread. And we just learned the simple truth that we are to live in prayerful dependence on our Father 
for our daily provision to do His will and so glorify His name. We are literally dependent breath by breath on His sustaining power. Today, we come to the fourth petition. There in Luke 11, verse 4, Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Let's pick it up in Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So they watched Jesus pray all the time. They heard him pray all the time. And this was just another occasion where he had been off by himself praying. And when he came back, they decided, that, you know, they got, they got smart. And they said, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. We need help. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. You see, we're to ask our Father to forgive our sins, according to verse 4, even as we extend forgiveness to those who sin against us. Forgive us our sins, Jesus said. This is how you're to pray. Father, forgive us our sins as for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We're to ask our Father to forgive our sins even as we extend forgiveness to those who sin against us. We read this earlier, but back in Matthew 6, you'll see it on the screen, verse 12. Here, here was the, the, the way Jesus put it on that other occasion. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then in verse 14, in, in, there in Matthew 6, he comes back to this, this notion of forgiveness. By the way, this is the only petition in the disciples' prayer where Jesus returns and revisits and expands that petition. And notice, it's about forgiveness. What that means is what we're talking about today is very important. It has a huge bearing on whether the name of the Father will be hallowed in our lives or not. Verse 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, forgive others their trespasses neither will your heavenly father will your father forgive your trespasses john bloom says of this passage these last two verses in particular we have committed not merely barred from god an unpayable debt for which we appeal for bankruptcy protection. He calls our sins debts. We've not only borrowed from God an unpayable debt, which we cannot repay and, and for which we must appeal for bankruptcy protection, we have also committed a treasonous trespass. The other word he uses for sin. And we owe the debt of treason, according to Romans 6.23, which is what? Death. For the wages of sin is what? Death. And what Jesus has done for those of us who trust in Him, is pay that terrible debt completely. And what He's requiring of us is to forgive others, others who have violated us because we have been forgiven a far worse violation. God is so gracious. God is so full of mercy. Even though we don't 
deserve it. I just want to spend a couple minutes thinking about the mercy of God. Back in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, it's Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there, it says the Lord, verse 6, passed before him and proclaimed. He proclaims his own name to Moses. He said, this is who I am. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, listen, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He tells Moses, this is who I am. I'm a God of grace. I'm a God of forgiveness. I'm a God of mercy. Psalm 86, verse 5 says of the Lord, For you, O Lord, the psalmist praises the Lord, For you, O Lord, are good and what? Forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Daniel 9, verse 9 says, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Who holds forgiveness of sins? Who holds the only one that can forgive sins? Who holds that in his hand? Whose possession is that to give to us God? To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Here's the question, though. How? How can such a holy and righteous God show grace and forgive sin and pardon sinners like us? How does he do that? Does this holy God just, if we ask, forget it ever happened? When we come and say, forgive us our sins, does this God just say, you know what? Wasn't that big deal in the first place? Don't worry about it. No worries. I won't hold those sins against you anymore. Just because you simply asked me to forgive you, no worries. Just, just, just don't worry about it. Is that how he forgives? No. <laughs> the big answer, the big gospel answer is no. Only through the substitutionary death of Jesus to fully satisfy the wrath and justice of this holy God against all of our sins, can Jesus forgive? Can Jesus declare righteous sinners who are not? Only through Jesus' perfect life lived in our place. His death on the cross to, to absorb all of the wrath and punishment for our sins. He had none. All of our sins on his body on that tree... Only through his resurrection that proved the price was paid and that he was victorious over death and the grave and all of hell itself, only through this work of Christ can we be forgiven. Jesus paid our debt in full. And so now, in justice and holiness and righteousness, without any compromise of his holiness, Jesus can pardon sinners. Jesus can declare righteous those who are not in and of themselves because he gives us the very righteousness of Jesus. He takes Jesus' payment of our sin debt and says, paid in full. And all of God's people said, hallelujah, he's paid it all. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 puts it this way. And you, this is about me, it's about you if you know Jesus today. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us 
all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. God in His holiness, God as judge, had a record of all of our sins. But it's been canceled. That debt, that record stood against us with its legal demands. Paul says, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. God's list, based on God's law, that, 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 was, that was just this huge documentation of all of your many, many millions and billions of sins. You know what Jesus, you know what God did with it? He nailed it to the cross of Christ, never to pick it up again. For it to, do, for it to, do, to disappear forever from before his bar of judgment. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. And he gave you all of his righteousness. And so now... Because of Jesus' finished work on the cross and, the, and his victorious resurrection from the dead, we can pray, Father, forgive us of our sins. We can know that God is a God of mercy. We can trust the truth of Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, where it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. His mercies never come to an end. Listen, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Because of the finished work of Christ, you never wake up to a lack of grace. You never wake up to anything less than overflowing mercy toward you through Jesus Christ. Every day, we can come to our Father in prayer. We can call our sins what He calls them. And we can thank Him for the finished work of Jesus that has already, if we know Him today, given us everlasting forgiveness and eternal righteousness before God, as well as we can come to Him and enjoy daily refreshing and cleansing in His faithful mercies. You see, we have been forever and completely forgiven by God if we've trusted in Christ. Amen? It's done. We call that justification. We've been completely forgiven and declared righteous before God forever through faith in Jesus. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet, so that's a settled deal. And yet in the daily life that we live, there is this aspect of, of not justification, but sanctification, where we're being changed and grown in Christ, where we're being made more and more like Jesus. And so though we've been forever and completely forgiven by God through Christ, day by day, we are to regularly confess our sins. They're forgiven already, but we're to regularly confess our sins. As it says in 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So what am, what am I saying? On the one hand, in terms of justification, we're forever made forgiven and made, right, made righteous before holy God. It's a legal matter. It's settled. It's a done transaction. But day by day, we are to recognize and acknowledge and confess that when I do this wrong thing or I don't do this right thing, that that is sin. We're to say the same thing God says about our behavior, right? About our words, about our actions. And we're good to go to Him for that, that, that fresh cleansing. You see, followers of Jesus... 
what 1 John is saying, sons and daughters of the Father are sin confessors. It's just, it just comes naturally. We say that's sin when we sin. We don't make light of our sin. We don't act like we don't sin once we've come to know Jesus, right? In fact, if we know Jesus and have experienced the grace of God, we should be more acutely aware of our sin, for it is our sin. It is those wrongs that we continue to do having been paid for on the cross, but it's what put Jesus on the cross, amen? It's why Jesus had to die. And even though it's settled forever in heaven for us, we shouldn't take it lightly when we sin even now. We should say, God, that was one of the sins for which Christ died. What I just did required the cross. And I agree with you. Confess means to agree, to say the same thing, homologeo, to say the same thing that God says about that action, I agree with you, God, that was sin, and I turn from it. I know it's forgiven. Help me to move on in obedience. So even though we were completely forgiven, freed from any further condemnation, and declared legally righteous by holy God, the moment we trusted Jesus as our Savior each day, we as believers in Jesus will just naturally pray to God and agree with Him, calling our sins what He calls them, and asking for cleansing and help to move on in obedience. I want to be real clear, though. It's not, don't miss this, it's not that our sins aren't forgiven until we specifically ask. And all God's people said, thank God, right? Because here's the problem, if that's the case. And I used to, I used to, I still know her, but I hadn't talked to her in many, many years. I was in a church one time, uh, and, and we were, I was preaching through First John, and, and, and this lady at, in, at about mid six, in her mid-60s said, I never understood that my sins were already all forgiven. She'd been a believer all her life. She never embraced the reality that justification was once and for all sin. And she said, and I often worry that I've not confessed all my sins, and therefore my sins haven't all been forgiven. And in that moment, she came to realize that's not it at all. Think about it. Here's the problem. If you've got to confess every single sin to get forgiveness, you're in big trouble, and so am I. Why? Because here's the thing. Just, just trust me on this, and, and, and my wife can attest. I mean, I don't even know all my sins, right? Has anybody got a perfect record of, of every time you've ever sinned? No, you see, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it, Jeremiah says. And if that's true, that means I'm not going to confess every sin because I don't even know some of them. I don't even, it doesn't even register sometimes. Why? Because I'm sinful. I'm not made like Jesus yet. And so that's not the deal. Don't, don't misunderstand. So if we had to individually confess, we'd be in real trouble. But the whole point is that a true follower of Jesus will be a regular sin confessor and so will demonstrate that he or she's received forgiveness of sin from God and been declared righteous before him all by the finished work of Jesus. Jesus said it this way, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your tres their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, William Henderson commented on those two verses and, and said, here's, here's what Jesus is saying. An unforgiving heart is not in a condition that can accept forgiveness. Jesus is not saying you earned forgiveness from the Father by forgiving others. 
We know better than that. Scripture is replete. New Testament's clear. It's all by grace through faith in Jesus. It's not by our works that we're saved. William Hendrickson is saying it's clear that you've not accepted forgiveness if you the forgiveness of God if you have an unforgiving heart toward others. So, if we aren't forgiving others, here's the question: Have we truly been forgiven by God? Do we truly know Him as Father through faith in His redeeming grace in Jesus that provides an unimaginable pardon for our heinous and continuing sins? Do we truly know Him? You know, I think the encounter between Peter and Jesus over in Matthew 18 where Jesus answers Peter's question with a story, I think this perhaps summarizes and explains what Jesus is saying here better than than any other illustration. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, that is to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And he thought he was being real spiritual when he said, as many as seven times? Let's just face it. We all want there to be a limit on forgiveness. Declared by God and sanctioned by him, we want off the hook after, after a certain point, right? Forgiveness is tough. People hurt us. We, 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 just, we want a statute of limitations on forgiveness. And so Peter's just, you know, Peter, he was just dumb enough to ask for one. Hey, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? I'm going I'm to go all out. The, per, the perfect number. Seven. Listen to what Jesus said. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some of your translations may 70 times seven. That'd be 490, but you know what Jesus doesn't mean? He doesn't mean 490. He means the perfect number multiplied by a multiple. I mean, he's just infinite. Without limit, Jesus said. And then he tells this story, therefore... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. But since he could not pay his master, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He didn't just say, I'll wait for payment. He forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him not 10,000 talents, but 100 denarii. I mean, just think, I'm not sure these, these, you know, these... Denominations are exactly right, but just think ten thousand dollars are ten ten cents. Uh, this vast difference of debt, right? He found this servant that owed him a hundred denarii, and it would be more than ten cents, it'd be whatever, a couple hundred dollars. And seizing him, listen, look at this. He began to choke him. Choke him. Saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant, just as he had just recently done, fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master 
the top guy, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And the master was angry, and he handed him over to the jailers until he, until he paid back all he owed. Jesus says, so will my Father who is in heaven also do to you if each one of you does not forgive his brother from your hearts. And that from your hearts is not insignificant. How is it that we can receive such lavish forgiveness from God? And 10,000 talents, $10,000, $10 million doesn't come close to the sin debt that you owed before holy God, that I owed before holy God. How is it that we can receive such lavish mercy and yet turn and in a moment and on a dime choke somebody until they get right with us? Go to our brother with vengeance and bitterness and anger. And compared to what I have done against God, what that person has done against me is nothing. That's a sobering story, isn't it? And Jesus said, So will my Father who is in heaven do to you if each one of you does not forgive his brother from your you want to know whether you've really enjoyed the forgiveness of God? Whether you have actually embraced Christ as your Savior? Are you forgiving one another? Do you take the grace you've received and extend it to those around you? It's sure Mark of the believer, John Piper, says there are no unforgiving people in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is teaching us. No one who cherishes a grudge against someone dare approach God in search of mercy. That's what, that's what this story is all about, right? And so here's the question. Do I, do you, do we hypocritically harbor unforgiveness? And it's hypocritical because at the very same time that we harbor unforgiveness towards someone else, we are still asking God to forgive us. We still expect God to show us grace while we show none to those who've offended us. Ephesians 2, or excuse me, Ephesians 4, verses 30 to 32 Help us understand just how significant this really is. Paul starts by saying, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. What that is like in comparison to the illustration in modern terms, Jesus has, as it were, placed his engagement ring on you. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit for the day of your marriage. He's going to take you home. And he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit that is that sealing, that, that promise presence of Jesus in our lives. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, how, how might we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Well, 
Paul's glad you asked. Verse 31 tells us, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. How do we talk about people that we are bitter toward? How do we talk about what comes out of our mouth towards those that we refuse to forgive? I would say probably bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander, right? (laughs) Along with malice. Paul said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with all that, but rather, what's the option to that? What's the way we, how, how do we not grieve the Holy Spirit in our relationships with someone who's offended us, with whom we're angry, whatever? Verse 32, but be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and here's the real issue, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You, you want to not grieve the Holy Spirit? You want to fan the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life? Then forgive one another even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so what this means for me and you is this. If that's not happening in our lives, if we are just as unforgiving as unbelievers around us, if we are as vengeful and and, and angry, if, if our mouths are revealing a heart of hatred toward that person that's offended us, then we need to check our own heart and our own relationship with God. And so all of a sudden, this simple fourth petition becomes real practical. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Is there someone you need to forgive right now? See, here's the thing. If you're a believer, right now the Spirit of God showed you who that is if 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 you have someone. I pray you don't have anybody. But this is where we get real, and and this is where Jesus is going to get real with you right now by His Spirit. Is there someone you need to forgive today, right now? Have you really understood the magnitude of your own sin debt and just how short of God's infinitely holy glory that we all truly fall in our sin? You see, if you have then you realize how infinite that sin debt that God has forgiven you for really was. How big and amazing and crazy huge your sin debt was. And what happens then is the result in your heart is that forgiving others is not an option. Forgiving others is not optional for a believer. It's just what forgiven by God people do. We forgive others. Even when it's hard. Even when the offense is big. John MacArthur says, we live in a world that is bitter. That may not not have ever been any more true in my lifetime than now. We live in a world that is bitter. We live in a world that is angry. We live in a world that is full of vengeance. Vengeance, in fact, has become elevated to a virtue in our society. But the price of unforgiveness is extremely high. You see, unforgiveness imprisons people in their past. It makes the person that offended you the jailkeeper over your own heart and happiness. You choose to love hate, and you're now a tortured prisoner of the offense and the offender. And all of that produces bitterness that becomes an infectious cancer of the heart that begins to chew up and eat up your whole life. Have you ever been there? 
Have you ever known what it is to be a prisoner to unforgiveness? I've been there, and it's a terrible place to live. It is no way to live. And as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as the redeemed, the adopted of God himself, it's no way to live. And because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, listen to me, you do not have to keep living that way. I do not have to stay prisoner to my own unforgiveness. Are you living in bitterness towards someone today? Are you? Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. How might you know that you failed to obtain the grace of God? That's what he continues with. That, in other words, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. What's, what's the author of Hebrews saying? Make sure nobody misses the grace of God, fails to obtain the grace of God. The way you'll know is if you let a root of bitterness come up in your heart, like if, if, if bitterness is, it kind of defines your attitude toward other people, then what you can know is the grace of God hadn't done anything in your heart. Or you've forgotten what grace did in your heart. And he says, don't let a root of bitterness spring up. and Because and, here's what it's going to do. It's going to cause trouble in you. But it's going to go beyond you. It's going to cause trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Can, can I just ask you what vengeance has ever done good in your life? And in the lives of those around you? Nothing. What, what's, what, what's, what have I ever profited when I've held on to bitterness toward that person who did that awful thing to me? And it was really bad. It hurt. It was truly sin against me. But what good did it ever do me to hold that bitterness against him, against her? None. And you know what happened? All it did was spread. I don't know, maybe, maybe and I'm not, I'm not I'm, I'm, I could think of several occasions, but I'm not thinking of any in particular. Maybe throughout my life, maybe that bitterness that I harbored, Chad Kelly harbored at some point, affected my kids. Maybe it affected my wife, Right? Maybe my friends, because I ran my mouth in clamor and malice and anger and, and all kind of talk about this person that had hurt me, maybe it affected my friends and, and, and they began to be corrupted by me. You see how it works? Because most of the time, whatever root of bitterness is growing in here, it comes out your mouth. Hello. Is this practical enough? <laughs> is this too practical? Yeah. Are you, professing brother or sister in Christ, living as if you've not experienced the lavish grace of God towards your many sins against his perfect holiness? You see, if you're refusing to give forgiveness while at the same time asking God to forgive your sins, then you're missing it. There's a disconnect between what you say and how you live. We are to ask our Father to forgive our sins. Even as we extend forgiveness to those who sin against us. It goes without saying, Jesus modeled forgiveness like no other. Even as he was dying the slow, torturous death of Roman crucifixion 
While hanging on the cross, Jesus prayed and asked the Father to forgive those who had just nailed Him to that awful crucifix, who had just begun the hours of torture where He would hang and die over time a grueling death. Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus looks at them and then He prays to the Father, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You may be thinking at this point in the message, you know, Chad, you just don't understand what they did to me. There's stories that can be told the world over today of awful acts of terrorists and and, and radical Muslim extremists who torture our brothers and sisters in Christ simply because they name the name. There is no reason for what happens to them in terms of their behavior. They didn't provoke it. They don't deserve it. Believers all over places like Sudan today uh, just, just connect with Voice of the Martyrs and, 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 and look. Um, young children mutilated for life. Machetes cutting off ears and slashing eyes out of the socket simply because they name the name of Christ and they refuse, not, they refuse to deny Him. And you say, Chad, you just don't know what they... Did to me, and yet God somehow empowers those, our brothers and sisters, in those situations to forgive. But aside from all that, go back to your Savior, Jesus. You know what's true of you and what's true of me? We all have a sin debt before Holy God. Even our brothers and sisters that don't deserve because their behavior. What happens to them, they are sinners in need of a Savior, just like us. Here's Jesus hanging on the cross, had no sin he needed to be forgiven for. Jesus was God incarnate, the perfectly righteous, spotless Lamb of God. And that makes his forgiveness even more amazing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're, 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 they're sacrificing in, in your big plan, Father, but, but in their sin. They're sacrificing the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. They're killing the Son of God. Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they do. All of us as believers have been forgiven of so much by God. We must extend forgiveness to others. So day by day, Jesus teaches us to pray. We're to ask our Father to forgive our sins even as we extend forgiveness to those who sin against us. If we really are a follower of Jesus, if we really are committed to imitating and walking in obedience to our teacher and our Savior, the one who died on that cross for us, then, then the only way we can, can, can truly, genuinely ask the Father to forgive our sins is if we are willing in the same moment to forgive those who've sinned against us. Let's pray.
Father, this petition cuts deep. Jesus, your words here expose hard. Hard truths about our own hearts. Hard truths about relationships that we're in today. Spirit of God, through these words of Jesus, you shine the light of conviction in many of our hearts. And I pray that right now, today, in this moment, my brothers and sisters, and and God, please show me if there's anyone who I'm harboring bitterness toward. And God, help us in this moment as a church, as believers, to resolve to make any of those situations right, to go get that cleared up today with our brother, with our sister, to ask forgiveness, to acknowledge what we've done to hurt them, or to just tell them and and in our own hearts acknowledge that we've been bitter and confess that to them and ask them to forgive us for carrying bitterness. Show us what we need to do, how we need to respond. That with pure hearts, we may daily come to you and agree with you about our sin. Thanking you for your everlasting justification through Christ that you've given us. Your eternal forgiveness. And may we then walk in grace. Showing mercy. More quickly and easily forgiving others. Because we go back to the cross. And we understand the words of Paul that we must forgive even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Spirit of God, we don't want to grieve you as you dwell in us. We want to fan the flame of your love and your power to change us. So work in our hearts right now. Father, I pray if there's any in the room today who's never trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and freedom from bitterness toward other people. Today would be the day of their salvation. Even as you work in our hearts now as we sing. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll close out our time in song. And as we sing, respond to him. Pray about that person that you need to talk to. Figure out, put it on your schedule as you, as you stand here in church, as you watch via live stream. Go ahead and make them a place in your schedule this week to handle that. God will greatly reward you. You'll be set free. And the name of God, the Father's name, will be hallowed in your life. His kingdom will come in your life. His will will be done practically, so practically, in your life. If you need to know Jesus as Savior, I'll be right here on the front row. You come and and talk to me. I'd love to introduce you to him. He He wants to forgive you through simple faith in Jesus of all of your sins forever. He wants to declare you righteous in his presence. He wants you to become a son, a daughter, one of the adopted in his family, even as we sing. Amazing grace, how
saved a wretch like me. you thankful today for that amazing grace that God has shown you that he's shown me and what a privilege we have to live as messengers of that grace ambassadors of that grace those who take that grace and give it to others even as we were sinners against the holy God and we're sinned against we get to be like him and as hard as it is glorify him perhaps most brightly, if you will, by loving and forgiving even our enemies. May it be so in our lives this week. We'll be dismissed, and uh, if you join us by live stream, we look forward to seeing you again next Sunday at this same time. Uh, Y'all have a